Good morning to you. I was thinking about that too this morning, the last time I was here physically with you. And uh, I think David McDonald made the comment to me, he said, Stephen, you realize that uh, this may be our last week together for a while, so don't mess it up. And uh, then next week we weren't together, so I won't read too much into that. I want to begin by talking about uh, the praises because of COVID-19, which can seem strange because generally it's been the thing that we've been like, ah, it messes up everything. But it also has opened incredible doors. In August, the province of Nova Scotia announced that uh, international students, students who come to our province to attend a Canadian high school so that they can practice their English and prepare to go to a North American university, that unless they were here before March, they were not permitted to attend a public high school. That's very discouraging and frustrating. But I have the privilege of teaching in a Christian school, and we said, as long as you've done your 14-day quarantine, which is what the province requires, you can come to our school. So on Wednesday, I had the opportunity to speak in chapel and present the gospel to our students in our regular Wednesday chapel, and I had students who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before. We have more that are coming that are doing their, their isolation right now. And I was talking with one of our ESL instructors, and she said, as I was interviewing the students, I asked them about their Bible background, and the students said it was the first time they'd ever heard the name of Jesus before. Next week, they'll be with us. Because of COVID-19, they're not where they thought they were going to be. They're where God wants them to be so that we can present the gospel to them day by day, week by week, while they're here. COVID-19 is not as bad as we think. More people are seeking out the Word of God now, because all the other things they look to aren't working quite so well. And they're asking questions. Back a few years ago, to help the small group ministry that I was working with, we did a series of teaching videos going through chapter by chapter through several books of the Bible. And, yeah, about 30 people looked at them, and it sort of sat there on YouTube. And then COVID happened. And my son, who administrates it for me, says, uh, Dad, there are people watching the videos. And I said, oh, a couple of people are watching. He said, no, hundreds of people are watching. Thousands of people are watching. Because people are looking for answers and they're going to the Word of God. That would not happen. Because you see, sometimes we, we think about this and I teach school and I have to wear one of these all day long while I teach school. And I have to keep a whole group of teenagers wearing them too. And there are times where it's like, okay, I don't believe in the doctrine of purgatory, but if I did, I'm there. And yet, someone made a comment today that I read, and it struck me early this morning. He said, right now in eastern Canada, you have 0.01 chance of contracting and dying from COVID-19. However, it is still prudent that we wear the masks and we follow the protocols. 
But if you don't know Jesus Christ, you have a 100% chance of going to be eternally separated from God when you die. So if in order to preach the gospel, in order to gather together, we have to wear masks and sanitize so that we can be strong in our faith and so that we can present the glorious hope of the gospel, then put on the mask and pass the sanitizer. Because as we've sung, we are more than conquerors in Christ. Remember that when your glasses fog up. When you are just walking through the door of the store and you went, I forgot my mask. I had that happen to me. I was going to Kent. And I'm walking into the store and it's like, oh, I forgot my mask. That's okay. They have extras. No, they don't. They had none. And the lady's looking at me and it's like, sorry. So I go to back up through the door. But they have the door set now. So they don't open from the inside anymore. So I had to walk around to the exit door. Well, more than a dozen people pointed out the obvious to me. <laughs> Sir, you're supposed to be wearing a mask. It's like, I know. I felt like ringing a bell. Unclean. I'm just trying to get out of this door. But God is working in this time. This morning, if you would turn with me to a very familiar passage, I'm sure to many, in the Gospel of John. I know the men are going through the Gospel of John in their study, but I hope even as we open it this morning, the Spirit can speak to us some new things. So the Gospel of John, chapter 4, is where we find ourselves. And as you settle into that passage, either in your Bible or through electronic means, Let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we gather here, whether here physically or electronically, we want to focus our attention on you. For Lord, we praise you that you are the same today as you have always been and always will be. You have not diminished. You have not withdrawn. You are active in our world. You are the same God who spoke the universe into existence and holds it together by the word of your power. Your plans have not been thwarted. They are progressing as you have deemed since before the foundations of the world. You are righteous and holy, loving and merciful, calling sinners to repentance. You provided a way for us when we could not and would not save ourselves by sending your one and only Son, our perfect sacrifice, that by believing on His name, we might become children of God, having His righteousness, Lord, we praise you for this, that this that you give us will not diminish, will not spoil, will not perish. That no matter what is happening around us and how it may impact us socially, economically, physically, when we put our trust in your Son, we are safe in your hands for eternity. Lord, we praise you for this today. We praise you for your church which whether we can gather or whether we are distant, we are still united through your Spirit. 
and the gates of hell still can't stand against your church. Lord, we praise you this morning for your word, and we pray that you would speak to us through it, that you would minister to our minds and hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to understand, and most of all, hearts to be changed. Lord, for your glory in Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the things we always need to take into consideration when we look into the Gospel of John is, first of all, the purpose for which the book is written. Though it is grouped with the other three Gospels, it is important for us to recognize that unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Gospel of John was not written primarily as an evangelistic tool. Though we often use it, and it's probably the most common Gospel we will hand out if we can only give out a person a portion of Scripture, The Gospel of John was not written first as an evangelistic tool. The Apostle John, as he's moved by the Spirit near the end of his life, writes the Gospel of John for the church. It is written for those who have put their trust in Christ. It is written to the church. Why? For two reasons. One is, at the time John writes, the church is experiencing the greatest persecution it had experienced up to that time. Emperor Domitian is in control of the empire, and he is determined to eradicate Christianity once and for all. Everywhere in the empire. So as John is writing these words, he's writing these words to a church that knows suffering that knows what it means to be hated and despised. But he's also writing for a second reason, because not only is there persecution from without, there is corruption from within. There are false doctrines that are coming into the church that are trying to say that Jesus was a great man, but he was not God, or Jesus was an ethereal divine being, but he was not human. And there are still the Judaizers who are saying, yes, you accept Christ, but then you must submit to all the rigors of the law and its traditions. And so the Holy Spirit moves John in his old age, last of the apostles, to write these words to the church. And his focus in writing is to say, I'm going to introduce to you again the Jesus you follow. I want you to meet Jesus again. See who he is. See why he came. That's why John opens up with what? How does the Gospel of John open? In the beginning. He takes them back to the very beginning of Scripture. So let's go right back to the beginning because if you're going to know who Jesus is, I'm going to take you back to the beginning. And for all those who are Jews, as soon as they start to hear these words read in the beginning, they know what's being talked about. Because it's going back to Genesis chapter 1. Because see, John is letting them know who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the same one who spoke the universe into existence. So for those who say, great man, great teacher, great prophet, he's God. And so we follow that through, and now we come to the familiar account we find in chapter 4. And it's also important, as you look at John, that John is very, very 
particular about what accounts of Jesus' life and ministry that he gives. He gives less miracles than the other Gospels give. He is very intentional as he writes. We come to this story. Starting to read at verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, you can read that, and it sounds, you know, like a very commonplace narrative. So here's Jesus. He wants to go from the Jerusalem area up to Galilee, so he's traveling up to the north, and he has to go to Samaria, because if you open up your Bible, you see here's Judea down here with Jerusalem, here's Samaria, and here is Galilee. So that, yep, that makes pretty good sense. You can trace it out on the map. Except, as soon as that narrative is read, everyone who is Jewish, bells go off. Because Jews didn't go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, there were well-established roads that took you around Samaria. Because Samaria was the place of the mongrels. Samaritans were viewed by the Jews as being half-breeds who had betrayed their faith, who had soiled their genealogy, and therefore you did not associate with them. So the Jews physically would travel around to get where they were going. So when we read the words, now he had to go through Samaria. We're not talking about simple geographic necessity. We are talking about spiritual compulsion. Because one of the things that we see repeated throughout the Gospel of John is Jesus' insistence that he acts in full obedience to the will of his Father. So when the narrative says Jesus had to go through Samaria, we read that in the context of the God of the universe in the mission to draw people to himself and redeem them from sin, is sending his son through Samaria. That's important. Because if you're sitting in church, and next to you is the good Jewish convert, and there's you and you're Gentile, plain and simple, nothing special, this story speaks to you. It speaks to you when you hear that the God of the universe sends his son, compels him to go to the place where the mongrels live, the half-breeds, the unacceptable. And so he travels, and we're told where he ends up. He ends up in Sychar by a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. 
And it was the sixth hour. It was around noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town for food. And of course, all of you familiar with the story know that, again, bells go off for the audience. It's noon, heat of the day. Jesus is sitting by a well. A Samaritan woman is coming to draw water. And people, no. I think John's messed up the story. Because women don't go and draw water at noon. Women are smart. Women draw water first thing in the morning as the sun is coming up, or they draw water in the evening when the sun is going down. Why? Because water is heavy, and you don't carry heavy burdens when it's hot. And it's also part of the social aspect of society that the women come to draw water together, and that's where they can chat about life with their children and their husbands, because their children and husbands aren't there. So that's what you do. So as soon as John repents that Jesus is sitting there at noon by a well in the heat of the day, and this woman is coming to the well, everybody's thinking, no, that's not right. What's going on here? And then Jesus asks her for a drink. Now, for you and I, that doesn't set off too much for us. Because we live in a culture where uh, we intermingle quite freely among genders. If I walk into the store and there's a lady squirting hand sanitizer out, I don't give it a second thought, or a man, or whatever. But in Jewish culture, this is significant. Because in Jewish culture, Jews, as we're about to be told, didn't interact with Samaritans. Men didn't interact with women. You didn't do that. So here is Jesus sitting at the well. He turns to this lady as she comes, and she's probably, her whole thought is probably, uh, oh, there's somebody there. I'm going to get my water, and I'm going to get out of here. Because I came to get water, it's hot enough, and this guy's in the way. And suddenly Jesus starts a conversation. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. In case you don't realize it, let me just explain to you the cultural problems here, sir. You are Jewish. I can tell. I am a Samaritan and a woman. Therefore, this will end our dialogue now. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. One of the things I love about our Lord and how he interacts with people is he rarely answers the question that they ask, but he always asks a question or makes a statement that immediately gets the person to want to know more. The person offers a simple close-ended question. Jesus is drawing more. He's just basically told her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who's speaking to you, because I am the gift of God. I am the gift of God. And I am here because I have something for you. 
She is not on that level. As is often the case, when we begin to interact with someone and we want to share the gospel with them, most of the time, people are operating at this level here. The level of general needs and wants. I want COVID-19 to go away. I need to get to work today. I need to pay my bills. I need to figure out how much I'm going to owe the government next spring if I got money kindly given to me from the government now. That's where we're working at. Jesus, of course, is talking up here. So she says, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. You're talking water. Let's just be simple here, buddy. Deep hole, no bucket, no rope, not happening. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Now, she's just made a challenge to him because he's Jewish. And she just said, are you greater than the patriarchs? Which, for a Jew, that would be a humbling thing. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, this blessing to us? Now, of course, the answer to that question is, yes, he is. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus takes this very common picture of water, which for the ancient Middle Eastern world, they understood, probably better than we do, that water equals life and the absence of water equals death. We have so much water around us that we often forget the fact that you don't live long if you don't have it. But in the Middle Eastern world, they had a keen sense of water. And now Jesus is taking that imagery here, and he's talking about a source of life that Jesus can give that will not only satisfy, but will flow out of you as evidence to others of the life that you have. To eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still down here. She's like, okay, you say you can give me a water so I don't get thirsty anymore and I don't have to come here in the heat of the day and get water? Well, okay, give it to me. Sometimes that happens when we're talking about the gospel. When we're talking about how the Lord can give us peace. And the person is going through a lot of personal turmoil and said, great, give me give me." what you got. I'll take your peace because right now I don't have much peace. And they're not thinking about peace with God. They're thinking about just peace in their common situation. Jesus doesn't leave her there. He keeps asking. He keeps talking because Jesus wants to bring her to the point where she understands her real need. And so he asks the question or makes the statement, He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Now, most of us were looking and go, that was a bit of a personal question. Why did he do that for? 
Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And all of a sudden, again, for the audience who's hearing this being read out, this starts to make sense. All of a sudden, the reason why at 12 noon, at the worst possible day to lug water, this lone woman shows up at the well to get water, suddenly has context. Not only is she a Samaritan, a half-breed race, not only is she a woman which culturally was looked as less than a man, but it apparently her marital life is a train wreck that she's been married multiple times, and now she's living with someone who isn't her spouse, which culturally speaking would make her an anathema, a curse. She would be the kind of person that when the women get together, they talk about her, not with her. In the cultural context of Jesus' day, she is pretty much as low as you can get. Now we put this into the context of what's happening. We go back to the beginning of the narrative. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus sat down. He sat down at the well because he was, it was hot and he was thirsty. But he also had a divine appointment. Because this woman, who in the hierarchy of generally, general acceptedness in her culture, falls about here the Lord of glory came to see her. You see, in a church that is wrestling with its identity near the end of the first century, it is essential that that focus of the gospel be reiterated. The gospel goes and is offered to everyone. One does not look and say, well, this person... They're Jewish. Okay, they're acceptable. Oh, they're a proselyte. Okay, they're acceptable. They're a God-fearer. Okay, they're acceptable. Present, bring the gospel to them. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, we, yeah, no. And, and, uh, never. And yeah, we won't even bother. The Spirit moves John to say, I'm going to tell you the story about the time when the Lord of glory sat down at a well and had a conversation with a person that nobody probably would have given a moment to. Because he wants to share the glorious gospel with her. And I love her response at this moment because up to this point, it's been very, you know, very short answer, short question, short, very practical. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts talking about the state of her life, and suddenly she does what sometimes happens when you go to talk the gospel. All of a sudden, she becomes a theologian. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's like, okay, this is getting awkward. You've just started to touch into my soul. So here, let's divert for a moment. Here's a good theological question. Where is the appropriate place to worship? Now, five minutes ago, that was not on her radar at all, in all likelihood. But right now, it's a distraction. It's a deflection. Let's talk, let's argue theology, because I know that our people and your people have been arguing it for a long time, and they can't come to an answer with it, so how about we'll just 
kill a little time with that. And Jesus, knowing all things, knows exactly where to take this. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus takes the conversation away from locations and practices and brings it to the heart and to the spirit. It's not about this practice versus that practice. It's about your heart and your relationship with God. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This we see over and over and over again in the Gospel of John. Because it was important for the church to hear it in the first century. And brothers and sisters, it's important for us to hear it now. Because we live in an age where people will talk down Jesus from his glorious position into something less. I was at work in my chaplain role with the the army and this summer I was invited by another chaplain to share a talk on mental health and so we were both there and as a chaplain with the, the military it's an odd thing. It's like being... Uh, an invited missionary who's invited but not particularly wanted. So we're there and we do the standard can talk, but you're always looking for the opportunity to actually talk about something meaningful. And that's another blessing of COVID. I've had more texts and phone calls from soldiers since everything went wonky than I had in the whole time before because we had something to talk about because their life wasn't what they expected. But in this session, we're there, and we did our talk, and the talk ended, and then somebody came in and said, okay, these troops are going on a training exercise, but they can only take so many at a time, so the rest of them have to wait in this room. So it's like, oh, you have to wait in this room? I'm in the room. Let's see where this goes. So we're there, and we're making small talk, and then all of a sudden, one of the soldiers says, Padre, uh, why do you think the world's so messed up? You're like, you're asking me that question? (laughs) And I said, well, my perspective is the world is so messed up because we as human beings are broken. There's something broken in us. And I can tell you about it. And at that moment, what my colleague, my senior said, the problem is that uh, we haven't evolved that uh, we have this prophet and we have this book and it was good for a time, but we've held on to it instead of allowing ourselves to grow and evolve. And I was like, I want to say something, but I can't. So I spent the rest of the time praying while this person pulled down Jesus 
from glory and tried to make him just another person. Afterwards, I was quite discouraged and I was communicating with my supervisor. My supervisor said, did you contradict her at the time? And I said, no. And he goes, good, because you're not allowed. Because that person outranked me. But he said, remember this, that when you go back in the fall, that person won't be there, but you still will be. And odds are that person's question will come up again because the answer wasn't satisfying. But we hear that a lot of Jesus is a great role model. Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus is an example of how right-wing politics destroys good people. I saw that recently. And it's like, not last time I checked, I believe Jesus said that nobody took his life from him. He had the power to lay it down and he had the power to take it up again. But Jesus declares to her, to this mongrel, to this half-breed, to this culturally despised, broken woman, that he is the Messiah. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? I love the disciples because they're so much like all of us, like me. God is doing something amazing here. And we're all like, whoa, what? Why, why is he talking to her? This is awkward. We'll just stand aside and sort of stare. And there's times where the Holy Spirit and the Word have to check us, where we have preconceived notions of how this should work, and we need to be brought back to the Word and see this is how the gospel needs to go forth. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Did you notice that? This woman who very shortly before is going out in the heat of the day to gather her water so that she will not have to interact with anyone after her brief encounter with the Lord of glory leaves her purpose for coming out there and goes back into town. And not only is she not trying to avoid people, but she goes to people. This is the power of the work of Christ. And this is one of the ways we know when someone is experiencing the conviction of the Spirit and the saving work of Christ is they start to act differently. This woman goes from I want to avoid to I want to tell you who I've met. And so she come, he tells, she tells them, and they come out. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, hmm, Could someone have brought him food? Jesus has to clarify. My food, what gives me my sustenance and my purpose is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. 
Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor." Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. I love the imagery here as one commentator has said, as Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, the people are coming out of the town. The Samaritans are coming out of the town while Jesus says to the disciples, look to the harvest. Look to the harvest. See these people that a moment ago you viewed them as despised, who you would have happily avoided altogether. They are the harvest that the Lord is bringing in. Look at it. The work of thousands of years as the salvation plan has been rolling forward every step, every part, coming to this moment, and now I am here because I am here to finish the work, to go to the cross, to pay the penalty, to do what God promised in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, to do that, to meet all the promises, all the covenants. I am here to finish that, and here's the harvest. And they come. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. There's another one that we need to keep fixed in our minds in our current era of uncomfortableness look and see the opportunities God is giving us in the midst of uncomfortableness because I remember reading this and not thinking too much about it and in a Bible study group someone pointed out do you realize how huge it was that Jesus and the disciples stayed in Samaria because that meant they went into Samaritans houses that meant they ate with Samaritans they were breaking cultural requirements and traditions over and over and over again. I'm sure for the poor disciples, some of them were just like one step away from a coronary. It's like, I can't. I just, no, but he's doing it okay. It must be okay. I'm feeling comfortable, aren't you? No. And people are coming to Christ. People are coming to Christ. Believing on his name. That's the reason he had to go through Samaria. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The opportunities abound. The opportunities abound. Because we know that God is sovereign, 
which means the situation we are currently in is not something which has taken God by surprise. It is not stalled his plan. It stalled lots of our plans, but it's not stalled his. So the Lord of glory's desire that many would come to repentance is still acting. So we have to ask ourselves, Lord, how is my current situation being used for your glory? How is it being used so that I can build up one another in the faith and so that I can present the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I can tell you when you can give a reasonable answer for the hope that lies within you right now, that's huge. Because the anxiety is off the scale right now. It is. People are afraid of the virus, and they're afraid of the mask, and they're afraid of the government, and they're afraid of what's happening south of the border, and they're afraid of all kinds of things. And if you, knowing Christ, with your trust firmly in Him, can walk each day in the midst of the turmoil and show joy that's not fake but sincere, can have a living hope in Christ, I promise you someone is going to come up to you and go, okay, what's the deal? But you know, Seven months ago, everything looked fine, didn't it? There was still anxiety, there was still fear, but generally we could look fine. Now it's a different thing. Jesus had to go through Samaria for the purposes of his Father to draw people to repentance, to meet this woman undesirable, and show her that she could become part of the kingdom. And then use her, probably the lowest person in the community, to be the missionary to bring everyone to Jesus. Do you love that? If you're sitting here thinking, look, I, I'm sorry, I, that, I just can't do that. Samaritan woman. Of all the people in that community, I'm sure there were lots of upstanding orators in that community, but who did Jesus rendezvous with? Her. And then he used her to bring them to him. And he revealed himself to them, and they believed in him. So as you go into this week, Remember the Jesus that you put your trust in. If you know him, if you've experienced his salvation, then walk into the week in that. And yes, there's going to be frustrations. I lost my glasses this week because every time I put my mask on and went into school to teach, I fogged up. My mother said at the beginning of this whole mask-wearing thing that it was a good thing and I could be thankful because it reminded me that I was still breathing. But that only worked so long 
And then it just gets ridiculous. So I took my glasses off and I set them down. And then I put them on at the end of the day. And the next day, as soon as I got there, I took them off and set them down. And I put them on at the end of the day. And some point in those junctures of days, I put them down and I can't find them to pick them up again. So that's discouraging. But there's opportunities. There's things that are happening. This afternoon, I have the privilege to present the gospel at an outdoor baptismal service. Someone who came to Christ at the beginning of the year and during the course of the last few months has recognized what their salvation really is and wants to proclaim that to their family and friends. So pray for that this afternoon because appropriately socially distancing, we will be having an outdoor baptism service out in Hammond's Plains and there will be family and friends who don't know the Lord. And it's our opportunity to present the gospel and for them to testify of the Christ that gives them hope through his finished work, even in our current context. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your son had to go through Samaria. That he sat there and had the divine appointment with this woman so that she could hear the message she needed to hear. And Lord, you not only reached her, but then you used her to reach others. Lord, we live in a time where we can feel persecuted on the outside and at times confused and misguided on the inside. Lord, I pray for each of us that knows Christ. Lord, that we would have a new sense of the awesomeness of our Lord and Savior that we would know of our salvation and the surety of it through his finished work. Lord, I pray that you would be moving us in this time to not be distracted by the things that discourage us, that are hard for us right now, but walking in your strength, we would be ready in every situation to give a reasonable answer for the hope that lies within us. For, Lord, we know that this situation is not beyond your control. And we know that you desire that people would not perish, but that would have everlasting life. So use us, Lord. Work through us. And, Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who's hearing this message who has not encountered Jesus Christ, who does not know of their need who hasn't put their trust in his finished work, his death and resurrection. Lord, that they would not leave today until they ask the questions and hear the answers. For today is the day of salvation. You make us no promise for tomorrow, but you've given us right now. So Lord, we pray that you would do this work. For your glory in Jesus Christ, amen.